Hello and welcome to Fireside Farmmaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad talking about everything Farmmaker. Hello, I'm Michael Rashad and welcome to Fireside Farmmaker. Over to you, John. Today, we're going to talk about Claris and Gage, and normally I'd explain what we're going to try to accomplish. But our regular guest, Mark LaRochelle, came up with this podcast idea and attended a ton of sessions to prepare for it. So I'm going to hand over the reins to him. Thanks, guys. Uh, So if you've been a developer for any length of time, you've most undoubtedly heard of something called FileMaker DevCon, which incidentally has been renamed to Claris Engage. So the big name change there. And you'll have to forgive us a little bit on this particular session because I have a strong suspicion that we're going to be referring to this particular event as either DevCon or Engage throughout the podcast. So bear with us as we refer to the history. It was always known as DevCon, and we're talking about 25 years worth of history too. But Also, this event is so different on a number of levels. This is the first time it was virtual, and in fact, the first time it was completely free. So that really does change the whole dynamics of what this event is and how it has become. And we'd like to talk to you about it on this particular podcast. So we're going to get a lot of my perspective because I did attend and I have a deep and rich history of going to DevCon for many, many years, as well as exhibiting through most of it as well and sponsoring and speaking. John as well has a lot of DevCon experience in speaking as well in the past and Michael has attended. So maybe before I dig into my perspective on this year's show, we could perhaps share a little bit about maybe some takeaways or some experience that you guys have had with DevCon over the years. First uh, DevCon I attended, I believe was the second one. I believe that was in Santa Clara, if I remember correctly. I don't know if anybody can back me up, but there are San Jose, sorry. You know, maybe it was the first one was that. I don't, I don't know. It, according to my notes, 1996 was Santa Clara, the first DevCon. So that would have been the first one I went to because it was literally, I worked at Claris at that time, Claris 1.0, and they asked me to be there to support tech support. And so I drove, you know, across the freeway. That was about it. It was, you know, maybe a mile or two away. And I remember this distinctly because, you know, I'm green. I'm just a tech support guy. I'm just trying to do whatever I can. And this is the first year, if I remember the years right, it could have been the first one or the second one. Don't, don't you know, get all over my case if I forgot. I'm just, I'm 53, so I'm old. But I, this is the first time they had a test, not a certification test, but they had a test on a computer to prove your FileMaker worthiness. It was a developer test. Not It wasn't you know, a certification. There's a lot of rules and regulations about calling something certification. Well, we'll get into that. So they had made this up on the computer, right? And they had a whole big room full of computers. And I, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know they're going to have a test. I just you know, was sitting around and, and some guy, I'll remain nameless, who was a developer, came out. And he also had, was hard of hearing. So he came out and he was looking around. And he saw me because I had the you know Claris shirt and the name badge and stuff. I'd never met him before, and he just starts yelling at me. I have no idea what he's talking about, but I, I, after a while, I figured out that he was upset about the test because they had built it so that some of the questions had to be scrolled down to see it. Ah. So he he had answered A, B, or C, but never got to see D. And so he finally figured that out by the end of the test or something. And he was so mad he was coming to me. And then Jeff Gagne, if anybody remembers that, he was uh, 
doing the developer uh, relations back then. And I saw him and I'm like quickly handed him off to him. Um, so that was my induction my uh, into the whole developer conference thing. And then I finally left uh, Claris uh, and was asked to speak. I think I was asked to speak at the developer conference and I was so nervous. So I asked somebody, what should I do? They're all get a suit wear a suit because so you can imagine me because that was the only year I ever did that imagine me in a big you know a suit with a double breasted suit and everybody else is in jeans and shorts and stuff like that so that's kind of a funny picture I don't think many people remember that but uh, that was me at my first speaking engagement for DevCon so just to answer your question I've been to 12 DevCons I counted the binders that I have and that doesn't include the ones that I was gone to because uh, you know Claris had me go to support uh, the tech support area, wow. all 12. Yeah, I have never actually uh, paid for DevCon or gone when I haven't spoken. And so I haven't been in what, over 10 years? I uh, just decided that it was time for the, the other folks to, to make their names and, and you know speak at DevCon. And you know I really went to DevCon to talk to people and to meet people and to, and you know, like I, I spent a couple of dev cons uh, just hanging out with the people from the United Kingdom. And that was great. And, you know, I would have no chance or rarely have a chance to, to meet up with them. And that was what I thought the best thing was is like, yeah, I would sit down at a table and I would just start talking to people and you never know who you meet. And I th- always thought that was the best thing about the dev con. Yeah. Yeah. It's the community aspect. So you like um, speaking to the UK developers because they were smarter than the American ones, John? Well, I'll tell you this. They drank more beer. (laughs) Well, yeah, we're famous for that. Now, the reason I I always tell people, the reason I like English people is they're always – willing like i would go to teach classes over the united kingdom and every they'd say hey let's go out and have a a pint you know let's go out and uh you know do something always so nice and i always loved uh the you know everybody from the united kingdom and of course i haven't met everybody but uh you know i I just thought they were really nice people and friendly and accommodating oh that's good that's good well i haven't been to as many devcons as uh you have and I certainly haven't been to as many DevCons as Mark have. I've probably been to about seven or eight. Uh, I go intermittently. The last uh, three or four years, I would, when it was in Vegas, I would just stop in and say hello to old friends. And uh, same with Phoenix, rather than attend the conference itself. So as you called me, John, I was a lurker for a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, I I know a lot of people actually have done that, you know, just gone and hang, hung out in the bar and eaten dinner with people. You can't go into the, you know, to any of the sessions. But again, like I said, I mean, the sessions are great, but meeting people and talking to people that you don't get a chance to face to face is really a wonderful thing. And unfortunately, that wasn't possible this year. That's why they had to make it virtual. And I'm glad they had it rather than not having it. So I think in that respect, I'm glad they moved forward with something rather than just saying, okay, well, the event is canceled. Because I would imagine in today's society, in today's world, big events like these just get completely canceled outright for whatever reason. Maybe because uh, let's say you're displaying medical equipment and that's an essential part of the show and you can't do that so as well virtually. But here we're a technology community 
And uh, so it does make sense to do a virtual show. So I, I like that aspect of it. Have you counted how many developer conferences you've been to? Mark? Yes. Yes. I've been to 22 since uh, 1999 was my first show where I was an attendee and that was in San Diego. So that was a little easier to get to since I live in San Diego. But then, um, so that was me sort of just hanging out. I really didn't uh, totally engage with anybody there per se. I just went alone, kind of checked things out. I wasn't really even, I was just kind of starting with FileMaker in a serious way back then. Then uh, in 2000, not only did we go to the show, we actually you know, set up our first booth and we've had a booth in the show ever since. In fact, I think we've been sponsoring every year since then. So uh, I guess that's 21 shows that we've been an exhibitor. Most of the time with double booths and big sponsorships and all kinds of fun things like jam sessions. And so I guess, I guess we are definitely entrenched in the, in the whole DevCon aspect of things. And but like both of you guys, though, uh, we never really went there to try to capture a lot of sales or things like that. We really just went to be to, to communicate with our existing customers, to hopefully meet some new people, to say hi to some old friends, and to see what's next. I mean, that's largely what it was. It was, again, like you guys, for the community aspect. Now, so you said the San Diego 1999 one was your first one that you attended, right? Correct. That was a very good DevCon for me. I don't know if you remember what happened. I don't remember what happened. Uh, I, you're uh, making me so sad. I know. That's <laughs> Tell me I what won, happened. <laughs> that's where I won my award. Oh, right. Okay. I wonder if I attended that particular ceremony, <laughs> which is probably I don't know why. I, I remember, well, I remember that I was working full time and I managed to get a half day to sneak in for a half day. So I went for the afternoon and visited all the booths and stuff, probably went to one session, something like that. So it wasn't a really immersive show for me in 1999. Yeah, I, I totally get that. It was your first one. It's like you, <laughs> you're like, a, you know, just walking around with your eyes all wide, like, wow, look at all these people. I, I Am I worthy, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it was like. I do remember, John, though, the award you gave to Delfina that one year. Uh, oh, I gave, yeah, I gave a couple of awards and then... I forget what happened with that whole thing. I was giving FileMaker employees awards and I forget what stopped it. Uh, I'm not sure, but and I gave like two or three of them away. Yeah. I, I never forgot that and what it was like to do that. I think they were always really surprised, impressed. You know, you really went above and beyond what most attendees would ever even think about doing to actually make an award for an employee. So, yeah, become a bit of a recluse since then. So, <laughs> Well, oh, you're still here, Michael. <laughs> That's good. So, Clarice and Gage, it, you know, I thought, I thought for the most part, it was it was well done. I let me just give you an idea of what the format was like. It was a two day show. It essentially started at nine a.m. Pacific on both days. And it went to either four or five, depending on how you look at it, on both days. So it was a much more abbreviated show than anything we've ever had in the past, where we're usually accustomed to two to four days of a DevCon with multiple overlapping sessions all happening simultaneously. 
Uh, this was not the case. I don't believe there were there was any overlap per se. So it was really everyone kind of followed the same track. It started with a keynote, and the keynote appeared to be pre-recorded, at least on the first part of it. And that keynote was live streamed, which meant that all you needed was a single simple link, and you would it would open up a browser, and you'd have you know not unlike any YouTube live stream or any live stream you'd be accustomed to today. That format changed, however, when you actually went to the next session, which then became a WebEx meeting. At that point, the format changed where it was live. You had a panel of people. You could see the video of the people presenting. They could then pass the mic back and forth to each other and show each other's screens as necessary. They could also take audience feedback in the form of questions and answers in a text chat that were then answered either you know, interwoven with the presentation or at the end. So those are the two formats. You had the live stream on the keynotes. Those keynotes were at 9 a.m. on the first day and 9 a.m. on the second day. And every other session was a WebEx meeting, not unlike what we know today as a Zoom meeting or anything like that. Um, one of the interesting things about that particular format is that on several of those sessions, they exceeded the max capacity of their ability to show the panel video. After 1,000 people attended, the, the, the next group of people that were coming into that presentation would only get a blank screen for the panel presentation. And it was simply a physical limitation of WebEx, which you know they they sort of working around and talked about. But I thought that was particularly interesting. That tells us two things. That tells us one, there were a heck of a lot of people there. And two, they weren't necessarily prepared or even realized that that was a limitation of the, the software or the platform they used. So I, a couple of interesting things there. You guys want to make any comment on that? Well, I think the normal amount of people at a DevCon, a physical DevCon is around you know, between 1,000 and 2,000, depending on the year, maybe around 1,500 usually. So that makes sense because you don't have to go anywhere. So there are probably a lot of people who didn't get in um, who wanted to, wanted to watch. Well, you were able to still get in after the 1,000th attendee. You just weren't able to see the panel video. You were able to see the, pan, the panel screens. You just weren't able to see the actual People. talking head yeah the yeah people. yeah the little yeah i got you that's that's not too bad because at least that's you can hear bad. them so yeah yeah you can hear them you can kind of see the screens and things like that so um you know in a sense though maybe you'd expect more because of a regular devcon was between like you said a thousand to two thousand people depending on the year and these people had to travel to get there and there were overlapping sessions um you, this is everybody in the same session and open to the world so maybe on one hand, you might want to expect even more attendees than that right. for, or something like this. Now, are they going to be putting it on YouTube, these, these sessions? These sessions right now are currently available on the same site that you use to register for Claris Engage. They're already there. Every single session, you can rewatch the whole thing and, and enjoy it. Is that on the Claris.com webpage or Claris special you, uh, domain name or... This is on the actual community.claris.com. And then once you get there, you click on the engage link and you'll then be able to see something called engage on demand. And that's where you would locate all these um, previous recordings. And don't be surprised when you get there. It's a, it's a, it's a forum that's run by Claris and you will have to register uh, put in your email address and a password. I don't think there's much else they ask for your name or something like that. It's not very complicated, but don't be surprised when they ask you to do that because otherwise I don't think you can watch these videos. 
Right. Right. And then there's other additional content uh, as well on those in, that, in those areas that is just now coming alive in terms of being available. And it's unclear to me exactly what that content is. I think it's a combination of um, potentially some presentations that were not able to be seen at DevCon, but being presented nonetheless. A lot of them say coming soon, for example. So, so you watched almost every session. Do you want to point out a few sessions you think that everybody should see or that interest oh, yeah. you a lot? Sure, sure. I might recap a, a few of them here and talk about the ones that I think are most notable. Um, I think that probably watching the keynote is okay, uh, just to get an overall perspective of the direction of the company and some of the takeaways from that, you know, today's world as we know it. Talked a little bit about low code in those sessions and just the overall direction. The, uh, but the, to me, as a developer and as a hosting enthusiast and server specialist, I really enjoyed the most the one called Panel. It was a performance optimization with FileMaker and FileMaker Cloud. Now, when I first read this description, I said, ah, FileMaker Cloud, I, I don't really need another session on that. But the performance optimization caught my eye. And this session was attended, get this list, Rick Kalman, who's Claris Product Management, Connor Brock from Claris Engineering, Maceo Eito from Claris Engineering, Wei Ju from Claris Engineering, Yi Chang from Claris Engineering, Lucy Chen from Claris Engineering, Clay Mackle from Claris Engineering, the famous and notorious John Thatcher, pulled right out of retirement for a special engagement, also from Claris Engineering, and then two developers from the community, Nick from Dex Desk Space Systems and Mark Richmond from Skeleton Key. This was an all-star world-class panel of developers representing the product in a real meaningful way. This is not to be missed, especially if you've never seen any kind of under the hood session or had the opportunity to kind of get geeky with the team. And to, to clarify, Clay Mackle and John Thatcher, I think they've been there combined almost 50 years at working at Claris. Right. And uh, they had mentioned, I didn't take note of the exact stack, but someone had said uh, the collective experience on this panel was uh, like a hundred and some odd years. It was, you know, it was an impressive number of experience on that panel. So I would recommend watching that. They talked about things as uh, eclectic as bee trees, and they were talking about uh, server performance. They were talking about calculations, and you guys will love this because this will go right back to our old podcast. Clay Mackle said, yeah, and uh, you, you really should check out a blog article. I think it's called Shaking the Dependency Tree. So it, 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 right, it came right home, right back to what we had spent so much time on on that other podcast. And here's Clay talking about you know the importance of that. And if you really want to learn about how performance works in the order of things, right. watch, watch that, listen to that blog and uh, watch the blog. Uh, was he referring to the podcast or the blog article? No, he was actually referring to the blog article. Yeah, so we actually, the previous podcast we did was uh, with Darren Terry, which was an update of his Shaking the Dependency Tree blog article. So he, if you haven't seen that one, Clay Mackle says that's good information. So uh, you should download it now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's that's the one I thought was um, the most interesting. Uh, we had another interesting session, which I didn't find as interesting from a developer standpoint, but the name of that session was called Drive Customers Towards Modern Design Excellence. 
And that featured um, some employees from FileMaker, as well as Jake Johnson from Angel City Data and Alexis Allen from Hyperspace Data Solutions. And they were really talking about the difference between user experience and user interface and how how so many people don't understand the difference and how so many people get it wrong. And you know, I could take a second and explain real quickly because I think you guys Please. would personally be interested in this. So yeah, at, at the most basic level, UI is made up of all elements that enable someone to interact with a product or service. UX, on the other hand, is what the individual interacting with the product or service takes away from the user experience. So let me explain this another way. Simply put, UI is anything the user might interact with, with a digital product or service. This includes touchscreens, keyboards, sounds, lights, anything to understand the evolution of that um, and the best practices for that. So that's user interface, what it looks like, how it behaves. User experience is simply this. It's once there was something for the users to interact with, their experience, whether positive or negative or neutral, changed how users felt about those interactions. So one is more of a feeling and a takeaway. How do I feel about this? Do I like the solution? Do I hate it? That's user experience. User interface is what they actually see. Yeah, I remember uh, back in our days in tech support at Claris, they, we, we used FileMaker to track customers. Seems like something we should do, right? Right. And they brought in a PeopleSoft solution, which had a terrible interface. And everybody disliked it. And so nobody entered any data in it. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. They, they didn't provide a good experience that people, the takeaway was they didn't like what was going on. And uh, it, it's, you've, got to, you've got to think about that kind of aspect of it. Right. You know, um, th this was uh, just, I don't know if this is off topic or not, but uh, Michael had brought to my attention a particular Netflix special and it was talking about the, in this case, the user experience of fonts and typography and how one font can make you feel one way or the other. So in this case, the font you choose for a given layout can be considered the UI, how that font makes you feel and how it presents itself on the page and how things lay out could be considered the UX. Um, Michael, do you remember the name of that special? Uh was it called? Well, it's uh, a, a show called Abstract. Abstract. That's what it was. It was like and the first episode. Was, yeah, I don't remember which episode. The topography one was spectacular, but every single um, every single episode of that show was fascinating to anybody who's remotely interested in design. It was just one of the best series I've ever watched. So I think they they went. They went down that road in this particular session show. It was interesting from that aspect. They did not actually show or demonstrate or even talk about what good design is versus bad design. It was more concepts and theories, at, you know, which makes sense. And then they, one person says, well, uh, can you really teach this? And they said, it's really hard to teach because it really depends on the customer and the environment and the situation to, to know what a good design would be for a given situation. So those are some of the takeaways from that. Um, and then there were a couple other sessions in between. I, um, we can go right into day two, which I think the keynote and opening for that was particularly interesting. Uh, the, the takeaway from that second day 
was the fact that uh, John Sindelar from Seed Code was demonstrating the add-on that he had created for the Dayback Calendar. And what he demonstrated was they, they compiled the Dayback Calendar into a single add-on. He was able to drag that add-on right into the layout. And lo and behold, the complete Dayback solution was available, ready, and he was interacting with it instantaneously and including the sample data. So uh, John, you and I have talked in the past how it's exciting that these add-ons might offer calendaring opportunities for one, um, but to see someone's entire product also configured as an add-on is sort of a game changer um, as it plays into the community and what we can do as developers going forward. Yeah, so if it's not clear, um, when these add-ons get drug on, you get scripts, you get a web viewer with interface, you get tables, you get fields. It adds all that stuff for you, and it happens incredibly fast, and, and it's amazing that you can just do that. So what's going to end up happening, I guess, with this these add-ons is, is people are going to do a lot of work with add-ons. You're going to make an add-on for a picker. You're going to drag that picker on and you'll make some changes to it, but the bulk of the work will be done just by dragging something on. So you can, you can, you don't have to really code at any, it's almost no code at that point because you've already done the code and you're reasoning it's better than what you've had to do before. Cause before you would have had to have had a template or tried to copy and paste the elements. Now it's all kind of like one big giant copy and paste, which is great. Yeah. You know, I was trying to explain what add-ons are to somebody who, uh, was not so much of a developer in our company. And I explained it like this. I said, create a FileMaker file, including everything that you need to make that file operational and merge it in a, into another file. That's essentially what an add-on is. It, it really does take the whole construct of a FileMaker file, including the data, and merges it with another file in the form of an add-on. It's still something you drag to a layout. So at the end of the day, you're generally doing one drag to one layout, but the add-on itself can include multiple layouts, multiple scripts and things like that. So really the, the way I think of it is just take a FileMaker file and merge it into another. And that's essentially what an add-on does. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to describe it. It really is. Now, as I understand it, guys, the creating an add-on is at the moment pretty complicated, right? Yes and no. It, yes, in the form of it takes a little bit of, um, there's a lot of requirements that objects have to be grouped. You can't have anything that you don't want included anywhere on the layout, that type of thing. Um, and you have to then save the object and name it a certain way. Uh, but once you get all through those, those rules and restrictions, um, it works pretty well. The thing that was mentioned on one of these sessions was that Claris in the future is looking towards making that into more of a wizard screen. So when it's time to make your add-on, you don't have to go through all the hoops and rules and regulations. You just follow the screen, fill out the form, push OK, and now there's your add-on ready to go. Right. Basically, developers can do it right now, and somebody really uh, smart citizen, as they call them, but they're trying to make it available to citizens so that they can it's as easy as any other feature and and i think they will that's that's the key there and it'll be so cool because you'll be able to go out to your any developer and buy an add-on and start using it to produce a solution and really get to that point i mean they they keep inching towards that point uh, of making it so that you know a regular person 
who doesn't have a computer science background can build a database. All they have to know is what they want to build and they can go out and buy all these pieces and, and really put together something that is going to solve their problem at their company. And, and I don't know if they'll ever fully get there, but they're getting closer and closer every time they release a version of FileMaker. I'm really excited about these add-ons, not just for developers, but for regular uh, you know, in-house developers or somebody who just owns a business and wants to build something really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And the other takeaway from this was the fact that the marketplace links are now directly embedded in, a, in the FileMaker application itself, which means that you're only one click away from being able to find add-ons and add them to your solution, whether they be free or paid, where before you kind of had to go out to the internet and hunt around for different things, whether it be a plugin or a solution or a blog article. Now you can just, you know, go to the marketplace right from within the app, which you know I think the, is a big benefit. Do you know the domain right off the top of your head? It's, is it marketplace or filemakermarketplace.com? I don't know the domain off the top of my head, but you can reverse engineer it by going into FileMaker 19 and and taking a look at those opening screens. I think yeah. that's where it hangs out. Cool. Yeah. I mean, what's really interesting with the add-ons, from my perspective, is that you know so so much of what we do we've done before, and you know we recreate and we copy and paste functionality from one solution to another. And with the, you know, where you've got a, a useful piece of functionality that you've developed, you can just create that as an add-on and then just add it in. And also, if you want to, offer it for sale or as a freebie through the marketplace. So it opens up some potentially very exciting um, use cases. It does indeed. And that was also mentioned, the fact that we can reuse code and not have to rebuild things from scratch each and every time as components. So you think about modular programming, you know, you could build your integration. One example was you can build your integration with credit card processing through Stripe, put that in the form of an add-on. Now that add-on can be there for any time you need it going forward. So Michael, exactly to your point, it's it's more than just the the ability for someone to quickly get up to speed. It's for us as developers to organize our components in a sense and take what we need and put it in a solution when we need it. Now we've been doing that for a while, but I think, and I'm, I kind of said this before, but I'm going to try to say it again. The add-ons incorporate so many different areas, you know, layouts, scripts, uh, fields, tables, all this stuff comes together rather than you having to copy this script over first and that or, or first copy the table over from your other solution that you're getting it from, then copy over the script so they know what fields refer to and which tables. And it, it's a multi-step process and so it doesn't always quite work perfectly. This is just everything. You're just going to make your life so easy to, to have this reusable code. Correct. And with the data as well, you could predefine you know, the URLs to a given service, and that could all be set up for you. And you could create your add-on in such a way that you're just going to have it ask you a few things like, okay, what's your registration, username, password, ID, and voila, you're connected to whatever service this add-on is pre-wired to do. So yeah, I think it's going to be revolutionary, especially when it becomes real easy to make them and real easy to to understand them and, and you know, it's a kind of a different mind shift for people. But um, I think in the end, I think it's going to really rapidly expand how fast we can quick uh, build solutions. Well, that's really interesting because 
I mean, the key thing with Farmaker has always been how fast we can develop solutions. And because it has been you know, without parallel as a, as a rapid application development environment. But now uh, the potential is that you can take that development time and cut it in half or perhaps even more. Um, so it's going to be tremendous, offering tremendous value to clients and end users who want some expertise but don't have the budget to pay for a big development process or something very specialized. Now, you talked about the keynote briefly. Was there any any kind of interesting points that you can let everybody know that's listening right now about the keynote? Because those sometimes are some of the most interesting sessions. Were there any announcements or, or hints or anything in there? You know, a lot of the announcements and hints were more explored in some of the other sessions, um, which I'll talk about as far as Claire's Connect goes and some other things. There was an interesting stat mentioned at the keynote, which was that 90% of today's executives believe COVID will change the way we do business. Yet 21% are actually ready to respond, you know, from an IT or development standpoint. Wow. So the, the, the point they were driving home was that there appears to be, uh, you know, a major shortage of technically skilled people, college grads in computer science, you know, more app, far more apps than we could ever build in a lifetime based on the current resources. So it's a supply and demand issue. And, you know, that was brought home on a number of levels and how Claris is uniquely positioned as a low code, no code offering to, to fill that gap in a, in a big way. So I, th I think that's kind of the, you know, the, the main theme of the keynote. Um, as far as major announcements go, you know, it was basically to say, we're going to continue working with the Claris, Claris Connect. FileMaker will continue to evolve. Uh, we're going to be having the, the option of, um, excuse me, the option of having the ability to build your FileMaker solution in a web browser is still uh, definitely dominant. And a few selected screenshots were shown of that in the keynote that you probably would make it worth watching. They also committed to the act, the, the, the fact that we are going to have an Android solution. Basically, FileMaker Go for Android is, again, mentioned strongly, boldly, something that's definitely going to happen. Um, they, the only caveat that was it may not have all the exact same features as FileMaker Go today on iOS, but it's, it's going to be a close cousin. And that's an interesting part. point about that because I don't think a lot of people understand that OS X and iOS are more alike than different. Mm -hmm. And so the story I heard about how FileMaker Go got mostly created was during a sabbatical. And I don't know how true this is. I mean, it could, who knows? I mean, but it, you know, Chris Krim, which is a former uh, developer, was there for 20 plus years, went on a sabbatical and said, hey, I'm going to make FileMaker go. And so what he had to do was mostly interface work, you know, and figure out which things wouldn't work on, file, on an iOS device, you know. Mm -hmm. And so basically six weeks later, it was done. It's a much bigger hill to climb to produce something on the Android platform 
than it was for the iOS platform is what, what I'm really saying at this point. Yeah. I, I remember Chris Krim demonstrating FileMaker Go for the first time at a particular DevCon and how impressed we were that he basically showed up and said, here, you want it? I've, I've got it. You know, here it is. And people were blown away when they first saw it and realized the impact that that would have. So yeah. one of the things I thought was interesting, were I, I wanted to kind of talk, because everybody's always interested in, hey, what kind of secrets did they reveal and stuff like that. And when during my session, I, I went to one session. Um, I had a lot of client work to do, so I couldn't see a lot of the stuff. But I went to the under the hood JavaScript and add-ons. Mm-hmm. Which, are, which is a pretty good session. I liked it. Uh, I learned a few things, not a ton. I mean, but if you, I was also in the pre-release versions and on the beta testing and stuff like that. So other people would probably get more from it than I did. But one of the things I thought was that they said, hey, in the coming weeks, I think this is exact a quote from what Robert Holsey said, said in the coming weeks, so that could mean one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, six weeks. I don't know. We're going to have a new version of FileMaker 19, which will be free, which will include these add-ons that we're talking about. Now, you have add-ons right now, but these are the JavaScript add-ons, and they say they'll have a calendar. So, uh, you know, something that's included inside the box, you just drag it out. Uh, they're talking about Kanban uh, charts and things like that. There's quite a few of them, but that should probably be, I would imagine in the next uh, month or so, you should see that and it should be a free upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. It should be. A, it uh, That's definitely something that they're planning. Um, when I went to one of the other sessions, the, the server one I was referring to, they're talking about uh, really rethinking and coming up with a better way to do record locking on the server, a more efficient way to do record locking. And you know they've been they've been at this for years, technically speaking, uh, with uh, with some of the technologies they've introduced with FileMaker 18. Um, no, those things are evolving, but it was exciting to hear that you know as early as 19.1, the next version might have some of these efficiencies built in, including something as interesting as faster upload to the server. You know when you drag a when you move a file into the server. You have to wait a certain amount of time as it's doing its uh, validation and verification. And uh, they're actually trying to improve that. Now, that may not be in the next version, but there was something talked about as a potential in the future. Any other sessions you want to point out? Yeah, a little bit on Claris Connect. Uh, they are continuing to evolve that. And they've either added or will soon be adding uh, the following connectors. We've got a connection to Google Sheets, Google Calendar, HubSpot, Google Drive, UPS, that's UPS shipping, Microsoft Teams, Microsoft SharePoint, something called SmartSheet. Uh, so a lot more connectors coming up. That uh, So it feels like the innovation continues on Claris Connect. They also introduced some important features and functionality that wasn't, they, they weren't, they didn't have before. Something called custom code blocks, which Think of it as like a calculation engine where you can take and drive code right in real time along with your flows. So it gives you a lot more uh, capability. Batch processing, uh, the ability to parse uh, CSV files, um, and FileMaker event triggers, which is you know how you get notifications on when certain apps do certain things in, in the traditional world of technology, though those notifications might be something that uh, will be coming soon to either FileMaker server or FileMaker the platform. Uh, 
So it was kind of unclear exactly how that was going to work. There was no actual demo. It was just talked about sort of in a roundabout way. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if FileMaker can be a little bit smarter on the listening side of things. Like, um, for example, let's say a new record was added that could trigger an event that could then go out and do something just as a result of a record being added. Right. So maybe add the email address to MailChimp or something. Yeah. So yeah. Know. And yeah, exactly. And now Claris Connect does a lot of that event triggering now, but you need Claris Connect to do that. What if you didn't need Claris Connect to do that? What if you could somehow tap into the notifications of FileMaker server directly using traditional server? So, and then of course, Linux server was talked about again. Uh, right now it's in pre-release or beta. Uh, they're actually thinking of a, a fully certified FileMaker server for, for Linux. It sounded like late summer this year. So they're moving fast and furious in that direction as well. That's, that's an interesting history there too. I mean, there, there used to be a, a FileMaker server for Linux a long time ago. I forget what version. And mm -hmm. then they discontinued. Now we're bringing it back. It's like they, yeah. just, they just got the code and dusted it off and said, hey, let's start with this and we'll we'll make it modern. So, Yeah, well, it's funny because I think this is more, you say dusted off, it reminded me of this term called sawdust, is where you make something and then use the sawdust to make something else. Well, they made FileMaker Cloud and that built the sawdust to say, hey, we've got this thing in, on Linux. Why don't we just make a server out of it too and give that to the to the people so and, and a lot really of people, they did. a little a lot of people do want linux servers because it's it's a you know a lean mean server machine it is uh they like it for stability they like it for auto updates they like it for licensing or reduced licensing or no licensing depending on how you look at it you know to buy a virtual server on aws with microsoft it's one price you're talking about about half the price of do that same server if you can use linux as your operating system so those are big numbers for a lot of people and stability is extremely important. I mean, you don't want your database server to crash. Yep. There's yep. so many articles about how to make sure you you never have to have a problem with your FileMaker server on Mac and Windows. And and a lot of times there are because, you know, there's so much stuff going on that you don't need. And Linux is really stable and, and clear cut and, and focused on what it does. Whereas, you know, uh, other operating systems have so much more to do. It's 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 a it's really what people want these days. Yeah, it's also more deployable in an automated way. Uh, you know, I think there's a desire to either have something called a container where you can just take your server and have it sort of pre-bundled in a package that you can then deploy. So imagine clicking a button and saying, "Here, make a FileMaker server and have it pre-configured." That's a little easier to do in the in the world of Linux than it is in Windows, in my personal experience. And it's just Linux is more in tune with that. It's kind of built to think that way. So I think that's why there's a strong desire as well. Rick Kalman stated that again, when you talk about server, their number one priority is stability. Their number two priority is being performant. And I'm sure security is woven into both of those priorities. Um, so I think you said a mouthful, John. Uh, Linux is, is great for stability and probably good for performance as well. So any other sessions? I don't want to make you reach deep, but uh, if there's anything that's on your mind about the sessions you thought was interesting, we, I, I would love to hear it. And so the, the listeners. Sure. There was one interesting thing that was talked about as it relates to Claris Connect, which I think for a lot of developers is still something they're just still getting their head around. Uh, and wondering about exactly. But uh, Wim DeCourt from Saliant had worked with a 
IoT device, which essentially is a Raspberry Pi computer that was gathering sensor data at a rate of two queries per second. And it would essentially get some data and then send it to Claris Connect. Now, Claris Connect was able to push that directly to FileMaker at about uh, one per second. So the, the big question is, well, how does that add up? How can we gather sensor data at twice a second and only create records you know, once a second? And the idea that was explored was that Claris Connect has a queuing component, first in, first out type of thing. So it can accept the data in real time and process it over time in a threaded capacity. So when you actually looked at the records created in FileMaker, they all had the correct timestamps. It was just that it was processing it slower than it was collecting it. And the, again, the big takeaway is that Claris Connect is hugely scalable. And they were showing demonstrations of how when you really throw the kitchen sink at it, it scales up automatically to accommodate those requests and then scales back down as needed, which again is indicative of everything that AWS does inherently. And largely the reason I would assume that Claris Connect runs on AWS. So those are some interesting takeaways, some geeky aspects of how things work. Uh, then there was this hospital, um, it's a person representing the healthcare industry with thousands of devices and so on and so forth. And they were talking about how they use AWS in conjunction with FileMaker, getting the best of both worlds. FileMaker being this really agile, great front end, rapid development tool, uh, which plays beautifully and nicely with Big Iron. You know, the databases uh, that are offered today on AWS. He was just really going on and on about how he didn't have to compromise. He could still use FileMaker because it's so eloquently connected to those other servers, he didn't have to look for another solution. He was able to just continue with the using FileMaker, even though it might not have been the most appropriate backend for the things they were doing, which was collecting analysis on a massive scale. Yeah, because FileMaker does so many things well, but not all things well. You know, you've got to use it for what it does best, and it it makes ad hoc reporting so easy, or building a a little interface so easy and so quick uh, that other, you know, big databases out there, oracles and and stuff like that, that they just they don't have that ability. You have to spend so much time planning everything and building everything and getting everything just right. FileMaker is very forgiving. And so that's, you know, it's, it's able to, Claris Connect is allowing to coexist with all that other technology. Right. And it gives people options. I think if there's one thing that the community has in common is that no one wants necessarily their hands tied. They want to do it their way for their unique thing. And we got into this because it is so customizable. I mean, you guys got into this because it's so customizable. So, you know, we want the ability to not only customize it, but we want to have the ability to connect to anything at any time for the most part. And that's essentially what they're delivering on the promise. So when you, when you take a critical eye to FileMaker and you say, well, it's not good at this one thing, you, I don't think it's a fair critique. I think you have to look at the product as a whole and figure out where it fits and what it's good at. I like to call it the master juggler. It's sort of like, you know, the hub of a wheel. It's, it's the ringleader. It's the, it's the thing that puts it all together. Pulls from here, pushes to that. Pulls from here, pushes to that. Presents data here, but then pushes it over here and presents data over there. The FileMaker's always been the ringleader. And, uh, 
Swiss Army knife. Yeah, Swiss Army knife is another analogy that that works really well in that. Yep. Right. Yeah, yeah. I always tell people, you know, you've got a tool belt and you use the tools for different jobs and so use the right tool for the right job. So if you've got a, a claw hammer and you've got a sludge hammer, you're not going to take that sludge hammer and put a nail in the wall. You're going to use your claw hammer. And so it's about using the right tool for the right job. And, and I think uh, FileMaker is, is continuing to grow up and convincing more IT departments that there is a place for it. Right. Well, right. I think I've always said, and I could be, completely wrong, but I've always said that in all the projects I ever get asked to look at, and I've looked at a lot of projects over the years, 97% of them can be done with FileMaker and only about 3% can't. And, you know, and most, the 3% are the projects for companies that have enormous budgets and can afford Oracle or the like. But for the majority of businesses, FileMaker is powerful enough. Exactly. I mean, I remember, I think I've said this before in a podcast, I've had dozens of Oracle employees in my FileMaker classes. Even they understand that their database is not well built for certain jobs. Well, here's a funny story. Um, And I'm not going to mention names, but a certain uh, organization that I was involved with, um, they have a, a guy who does the FileMaker stuff and they have a whole team of Oracle developers and they decided to take one little project and develop an Oracle solution, which they did took three months and the FileMaker guy did it in a day. That's, that's, that's just exactly what FileMaker is all about, right? Yeah. That's a common, common story. One other notable thing is um, we won the excellence award for you did. We did. We won an excellence award for the educate pillar. Uh, because of Productive Computing University. Wow, so, I did not know that. That's so cool. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite a quite a thing, quite a quite an honor, and we're really appreciative of that. And the students and the staff that put PCU together and make it happen is is it's really rewarding. I don't know if you guys knew this, but the whole reason I created uh, or wanted to create Productive Computing University was simply this: I wanted to give our industry an easier and better way to study for the certification exam. That's that was the main reason. The second reason was to help people through API connectivity. There's just so many intermediate developers that really didn't don't get exposed to that kind of technology. And I wanted them to have the ability to do it from the perspective of a FileMaker developer. So um, now that Claris engages virtual, do you get a virtual award? <laughs> According to Julie, no, it's gonna be a physical award that, that will be arriving at the office here in, in a matter of days. Nice. So, yeah, but it was quite an honor and it was exciting to win that. Did you have to pay much for it, Mark? <laughs> Just blood, sweat, and tears over the last three years building the university. That's how we paid for it. <laughs> no, no, but it was it was good. I, you know, there were some other notable award winners. Um, and you can just check that out. If you go to the Engage site, you'll see there. They, uh, they actually have a pretty decent blog article that Claris connected, recapping day one and day two. I'll be creating a, um, a video on that. I think I actually did yesterday. It was released something about um, a reca- there's a recap and it shows you the pictures and the takeaways from the show and the award winners at the end. I couldn't find it. I, w- I saw your video and oh, I couldn't find 
find the references you were talking about. Okay. Well, we put them in the description below the video, and if we didn't, we'll we'll do that right away. Uh, and we also promote this broad, this podcast. What's that, Mike? You may well have done, Mark. I, if so, I didn't see it, but um, got it. There was a mention about Fireside Farmaker podcast in it, which I thought was very nice. Oh yes, I I try to mention the podcast as much as possible because this is I provide the Reader's Digest version on my YouTube channel, uh, you know, for the YouTube videos. This is where you can have that nice conversational, really explore topics in great depth, which I think a lot of developers uh, hopefully enjoy. Yeah, and hopefully what we're doing here is just getting you interested in spending the time watching the videos that are there right now because there, you know, there's a lot more information. We can't give you everything in this podcast. Mm -hmm. Right. They also announced where the next show is going to be. Well, that's very... <laughs> <laughs> very traditional of them, isn't it? <laughs> no, but I mean, I thought it was going to be in the virtual world. Again. <laughs> yeah. They have intent to go to San Diego, California, September 14th through the 16th in 2021. Yeah, I, I don't see that happening. It would be very interesting. And I, I think they kind of alluded to the fact, if if possible, this is where we're going to be. You know, this is what we've got scheduled. Yeah. It's hard to say what will happen. Yeah, the way things are going right now, it doesn't. I don't think they should sign any contracts. <laughs> but. Yeah. What's uh, what? What is interesting, fellas, is that if you take a look at other people that do trade shows like AWS, because of the popularity of those trade shows, not everyone can get into even the main arenas and so forth. So they have been virtual for years. They actually have live streaming while there's physical people there. Um, so it's a blend, and maybe that's what this turns into, a blend. Now that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, that, that might work. And for the people attending virtually, it's free. For the people attending in person, I think there's fees, probably because it includes food and other amenities that you can't get virtually. But that's just what I would expect to see or would want to see as an attendee is give us the option so that my employees can watch it remotely if they don't get a chance to go. And then the ones that go get there, to get the whole experience, I guess, in person. I must say that uh, I, until they get a vaccine for this virus, I'm going nowhere. I'm not getting on a plane. I'm not uh, going to any shows. I'm not going to movie theaters. I'm just staying as far away from crowds of people as I possibly can. Yeah, I don't blame you. That's where my, my mother is too. She's locked in her uh, her house and, and my sister drops off stuff every once in a while and they social distance because you know i mean you know old people you know you yep. gotta watch out yeah thank you john for that, I, I was <laughs> if you get that whole thing. <laughs> okay so yep. uh would I, i've got some interesting questions i think uh one of them was i don't think people realize this but this this devcon or sorry this engage this virtual get engage was a large number of Claris employees, but developer conferences in the past, there were very few sessions with Claris employees actually running them. And it was almost a blend of, of, of you know, consultants and developers with Claris employees. And it was kind of interesting. It was, it, was, it was different than what we're used to in a lot of ways. I agree. And I don't know the reason for that, except to say that maybe it's really difficult to ask a presenter to pre-record a session or to do that session live. 
both have negative consequences and are asking a lot of the presenter. So maybe there's less burden and obligation to present it as a panel with more of a loose agenda with some guidelines and, okay, you can do this demo for 10 minutes. Okay, we'll hand it over to you to do a five-minute demo and talk on this. It's a lot less prep and obligation and risk than saying, okay, we're going to take 40 speakers or whatever their number is, and we're going to ask each of them to do a full recording, and we'll make that available and all that. So you're right. The format's completely different, and I think my mind goes right to why and how, and that's those, those are my personal opinions as to why it was done that way. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I just wanted, you know, listeners to know if they haven't seen any of this stuff yet that they'll get us, you know, if they've been to a developer conference, it's going to be a little bit different. It's, it's shorter, uh, more compact, um, certainly not uh, lacking in information because, you know, they're, they revealed a lot about their plans. Uh, very open, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. For what I saw and from what you, I mean, like they said, hey, in the coming weeks, we can't tell exactly because, it, you know, when you look at uh, a product being developed, and the software quarterly assurance, they, they, they graph out, you know, how many bugs are being reported. And so when that number goes down for a certain amount of time, that's when they release. So if there's, uh, you know, any kind of issue, they don't want to release it. So they got to make sure that graph is, is going down, just like, you know, you see all the, the COVID graphs. You've got to go down and, until you, and then you can release the product. And so I thought that they were they were pretty open about what they were doing, um, and it's been it's been that way for a while. But they really were pretty open. Um, but I only saw one session. What is your is that your same feeling, Mark? Or no, that's completely my feeling. In fact, it went a step further to say they're getting you know the product in its infancy in the hands of developers, where they can really open it up, explore it, and then capitalize on what can be done then bring that information, that real cutting edge type use to the developer community, as was exampled by John Sindelar's seed code add-on. I mean, that was a pretty sophisticated piece of work that was done with a pre-release version of FileMaker. That sort of thing might not have been done to that extent by outsiders. It might've been done by someone like Andy Lacates, uh, you know, presenting, okay, here's a demo of the new things to look at. and, and the demos might have been constructed by internal employees versus, hey, these are people like Todd and those guys developing this stuff and showing you what they've already done with what what's coming. So that that's a flip. But at the same token, more Claris employees actually participating in presenting it and less developers doing pre-canned um, you know, presentations. So yeah, it, 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 it's different on so many levels that you're right. It is just such a paradigm shift from anything we've had before. Now, one of the things they couldn't do at the Dev or, or several things they couldn't do at a virtual DevCon, um, I'm going to mention them there uh, so we can kind of talk about them, but no training sessions, which they typically have, no jam session, which I know you love to do. You always participated in that. And I'm trying to think no luncheons, of course. You can't sit down at a table and just start talking to people. No, no uh, uh, product showcase um any of that stuff. Any comments on that? Did you miss it? Did, you know, I know you normally would go in and uh, sponsor this. I, I'm just curious about your whole thoughts on the whole thing sure. and, you know, in those areas. Well, let me tell you, it saved a ton of dough by having it free. <laughs> right. I mean, an extraordinary amount of, of investment goes into a show like this between booths and sponsorship, taking employees, plane rides, hotel rooms and meals. 
uh, entertainment, all that stuff adds up to be a, a huge investment. And as a company, you have to weigh those investments with what's it, what's it mean for us to be there and show up and be present and accountable, um, you know, for the brand image and all that. So we didn't have to spend dime one. I mean, so you, also get a, you also get to count your your time spent preparing for it too. That's oh. you know a very that's that's money right there. Oh, huge money! Uh, the amount of effort that our company goes through in preparing for a DevCon between graphics and imagery and things we need to say and the things we need to announce ahead of a show is is extraordinary. It takes you know two people several weeks to put it all together, and um, we had absolutely none, none of that this year. So all of those resources went into other initiatives, which is, in a sense, probably uh, maybe even more economical for us, you know, long term. Um, so there are some advantages. Another advantage, and then I'll go down some of the disadvantages. The other advantage, I thought, is when you're attending sessions at a DevCon, and let's say you're not right in the front row and you're somewhere in the middle or in the back, it's really hard to see. Sometimes it's hard to hear. There's a lot of distraction. People are clicking and clacking on their computers. The doors in the back are opening and closing. People are getting the water, uh, technical issues. It's just hard to see and hear. You know, when you're in a virtual session, you can see it, you can hear it. You can put on the headphones as loud as you want. You can magnify the screen as much as you want. Everybody's so, in the front row. Everyone's in the front row and you're really getting front row seats to that. And I think that can't be understated how important that is if you're really trying to learn and pay attention to things. I mean, I've been to a lot of sessions and a lot of it just washes over you, not because the presenter isn't good. It's just because the environment is not conducive to real learning. Yep. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that, um, Mark, because that was always one of my reasons for not enjoying DevCon as much as I could because I felt so often that the sessions were hard to follow or the room was too hot and you know and if you have those factors you know the presentations sometimes just aren't worth going to and you know you learn more from following the community and reading forum posts and stuff like that. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that, Michael. And that's uh, one reason why I stopped going to the developer conference because I was usually speaking. So there was a ton of preparation time. There was high costs involved in going to it. And then, you know, if you wanted to go to a session, like Mark said, it, it sometimes can be very distracting and hard to pay attention if you don't get there, you know, in the front row uh, and, and start, you know, you know, and, and so you can be like, you know, without as many distractions. So it, it, it was a, it was a, it was a, difficult decision to make, but I, I think now I have a ton more time to do client work uh, and things like that. So it was just a, you know, it's time for other people to speak and their time to do this. And that's great. But for me, um, I don't know if I'll ever make it to another DEF CON. I will watch sessions like this though. So that's the difference. So I, I, I think it might be what sucks me into watching the sessions because I can just really learn much better. I can screenshot things. I can write notes much more easily. I don't have to, you know, they're not elbowing some guy sitting next to me. I'm not listening to another conversation behind me, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and again, I can't be understated how important that is for the learning process. Um, not to mention you can pause the video, you can double speed video, you can slow the video down. There's just so many aspects to make your learning so much better. Rewatch it. Yeah. I think it's a culture shift in the world because before there was no such thing as recorded sessions or virtual anything 10 years ago. 
the only way you could get the information is to be present and accountable. Uh, now you can get the information better than you can when you're there. So what we will miss, obviously, is the social interaction. Um, and the fact is, social interaction is a huge part of this community, always has been, probably in a lot of other communities, but this one in particular. It's always what happened at the bar, what happened in the lobby, what happened in the hallways in terms of talks, conversations. I will never say. <laughs> right. What stays at DevCon or what yeah, happens right. at DevCon stays at DevCon. <laughs> so yeah, what happens when you have the DevCon in Vegas? I mean, you know... You've got a double-edged sword there. You can't say, and it stays in Vegas. Right, <laughs> right. So it's it's a double negative, so it actually becomes a positive. <laughs> so, All right. All right. Maker, file maker uh, 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 logic, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so I think, you know, and when you think about what people like most about DevCon, it, it ends up being a lot of times you know, what what was new, you know, what new things are coming, just to the excitement level of that. And it was like, how many friends did I get to see and talk to and, and pontificate with? You know, that's that's the reward. It's the social and intellectual stimulation of talking to your peers, people with like commonalities. We all have something in common. We're developers. We work with FileMaker. Uh, again, that runs deep in the heart and in the head simultaneously. So that's that's what's special about a conference. And uh, you could, technically speaking, you could have a DevCon that was largely social. We go to a wonderful resort and we purposely get people together just to talk, but we have a little less or almost none, no presentations, nothing technical, just enjoy each other's company, learn what we're doing, learn from each other and grow as a community. Um, that would be an interesting DevCon. Almost like a socialized DevCon. However, go ahead, Mike. I want you to talk about that. Well, it, it would definitely be interesting. I mean, the strange thing is that John and I started this podcast because we wanted to be able to have, you know, intelligent conversations about FileMaker, you know, based on our knowledge and bring in guests like yourself and Darren and, you know, and learn stuff from it, but have a, have a, sort of interesting conversations about FileMaker. And the only place that you really got that before was at the table sessions where everybody was sitting having lunch together. Right. And it can't be, it can't be, you know, that the importance of that is, is significant because I think we would all walk away from a, whether it be this podcast, we walk away with nuggets of information, but nuggets of inspiration too, you know, because remember, you have to feed the soul. You have to feed your passions. And one way to do that is to talk to like-minded individuals, in my opinion. So it was a much, as much as a rejuvenation event as it was a learning event. In fact, it was probably more rejuvenation than learning. Because remember, it's an enormous amount of time, effort, and expense to participate in DevCon. The reward is that it fills up your heart a little bit, fills up your mind a little bit, and you leave with something more than you had going in. Yep. FileMaker stories, right? Even yeah. just the jam session that you you guys all got together sure. and played instruments, you know, you you made bonds there, and and those bonds may have been through playing instruments, but it goes through your development career because you're all FileMaker developers, and you're like, hey, I jammed with that guy, and he told me afterwards he knew a lot about container fields, and I have a question about it. Let me call him up. Things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, it's a personal relationships. It's it's all of that. 
So that will be missed if they if they don't if they have to continue to do virtual or whatever. That's the biggest thing I think. You right. know, no socialization, and that's right. I, it, it, I, I, whenever everybody asks me about developer conference, I always say, "Hey, it's about socialization." It seems weird. The sessions are fine. Go certainly go to the sessions, but make sure you spend time socializing with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the real reward, I think. You know, to be fair, um, Todd Geist and his team put together a sort of a virtual socialization aspect to the show and exhibitor presentation with something called Auto Enter, uh, Auto Enter Live, I think it was called. And it's probably already taken down now, but slightly before the show and during the show, uh, there were up to five or 600 people, from what I understand, in various chat rooms on Slack that were interacting with each other, posting pictures. Here's a beer to you guys. Here's here's my you know here's what my workstation looks like. I'm having a good time watching the session. And there was a lot of, uh, to be honest, social interaction. And a lot of people said, "Well, we might not have the real lobby, but this is the next best thing," kind of thing. So I guess we have to salute that in many ways to say that was kind of a an interesting effort that seemed like it had some appeal somewhere around 600 people. They also carved out a booth space for the exhibitors that wanted to participate where we could have our own Slack channel and people could stop by and say hi and hello and that kind of thing. So I did participate a little bit in that. And it did give you a small feeling that there was some social interaction with real human beings on the fly in a real way, as virtual as it was. Yep, yep, yep. Well, it's, it's, we're kind of, it is a, a whole culture moving that way. And this is one of the reasons why I've started only teaching classes on video. I used to, you know, go around the world teaching classes and I found out that I can get more people involved with FileMaker uh, in, in a lot of ways better. I can teach a lot more for a lot less price uh, by doing videos and it, it's, it's really kind of the way things are going and, and people are so busy these days. They don't have time to, you know, usually get on a plane and go to a hotel and spend three days to five days to do a training class. Uh, it's the same thing with the developer conference, you know, uh, maybe virtual is better and there's ways to fill in those, that lack of socialization with the ways you're talking about. Right. And as the technology becomes better, I mean, Slack right now is text-based. You can post a picture, you can do that, but imagine a better technology, Slack 2.0, if you will, where, you know, in fact, Todd had another piece of software that allowed you to have sort of a, your own little avatar dot and you would move around um, a scene, basically, uh, let's say a hotel lobby, and you could move around and there would be real people represented by the dots. So it would say Mark LaRochelle as I walked around and I could go meet this guy and then have a chat with that person. And it was using real audio. So it was like having a chat with the person. You didn't see him necessarily. but And I don't want to uh, dismiss the technology in any way because I didn't really get a chance to fully explore it. I went in there once and, and walked around for five minutes. But it's it, things are evolving and maybe... Uh, maybe we'll all be, you know, virtual avatars going around in, in virtual land, not unlike what we what video gamers play today, where they represent, you know, a first person shooter. That's their character. Well, imagine if the character was someone you actually knew and you could see them, you could talk to them. It would be everything except being in the same room with them. Now Interesting the, aspect. The developer conference typically is what, a three and a half day experience? Yeah, give or take. Yep. 
and now they're with the engage that did two days. If they have to do it next year, do you foresee them doing expanding on doing more days or, or do you see them sticking with the two day format? Well, right now they have on the books September 14th through 16th, which is three days. So whatever that means, that's now that's a physical, uh, you know, intent. If it becomes virtual, does it go back to two days because it makes more sense to do two days versus three? Uh, I think the technology will change too. I mean, you know, WebEx today is going to be a different WebEx or Zoom tomorrow. They they may have more overlapping sessions. They may actually let presenters go live in a virtual way, you know, and you can tune into various channels simultaneously, all being recorded. So I don't know the answer to that. I really don't know what the format is. Maybe they don't know either, but uh, I think you want it to be, you know, two days is a, is is probably a good. It feel it felt good to me. I think if it went three days, it'd be a little too much. Now, would you actually? This engage was free. If they had to do a virtual engage again next year, would you pay for that? I'd be more reluctant to pay if it was on the same level of uh, investment that it takes to go there physically. So, because really, you're going to miss out on the social part. I would think that would be the reason why, right? Yeah, that's a big reason to go. You know, um, to and, see people. And part of the cost, it's amazing. I mean, you know, part of, I think DevCon was what, over $1,000 or something like that? Yeah, I was um, getting up there, you know. And and so you're not just paying for the sessions, which they can easily provide through video in, in a, but I think what people didn't realize is they're paying for the opportunity to socialize with not just only other developers, but also uh, found, you know, Claris employees. And, and I think that, you know, they certainly can't charge as much if it goes virtual again, if they do decide to charge for it. Yeah, I think I think they would find, based on their current attendance and the fact that it was free, uh, they probably wouldn't want to charge from a strategic standpoint because you would potentially greatly eliminate some of the attendees, the numbers. You'd get less, less eyes on the product, make right. less impact, um, you know. There's already, you know, a call for making more things free and longer trials and all that longer demo periods and things like that. There's, there's always already a push in today's world to give more upfront free, let us play with the product for longer, et cetera, et cetera. So I think having a free conference is, goes along with that same spirit of let us explore it, give us an opportunity to do so uh, without major investment. But if it was a couple hundred bucks, uh, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. You know, as, as, as entrenched as I am and everything, um, if, if I knew I could watch the video a day later for free, for free yeah. <laughs> I, why would I pay for it? <laughs> good point. Good point. Yeah. 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 yeah you know, certainly uh, there's definitely information at the developer conference. You can't get anywhere else on any training video or anything. There's just, it's inside information. It's, it's cutting edge information. So there's a certain amount of me says, yeah, I would, you know, probably pay for it if I was, you know, if the sessions were compelling and I knew I was going to get to hear from, you know, these, these engineers and things like that. So it might be worth spending the money. I don't know. It's hard to say, but uh, it's something that I think uh, we need to kind of address during this podcast and say, Hey, you know, it's free, but would you, what would you think? Would you pay for it? I mean, if it was exactly the same as this, uh, you know, I would say it's worth at least a hundred or 200 bucks. Um, 
to to watch this but if it's given away for free i wouldn't pay for it so right it, yeah i don't want i don't need to be two yeah. days earlier than somebody else seeing the information it doesn't really right. matter to me no so. no no that wouldn't matter but it also comes down to the cost of putting the conference on um is has always been astronomical for claris because they've got to have x number of hundreds of people who they've got to transport and pay for hotel and accommodation and meals and everything. So they're saving a lot of money by not having a conference. So conversely, they can afford to do it for free because they're saving all that money. That's a good point. I didn't think about it that way because I don't think they make a ton of money on the developer conference, if any at all. They probably mostly break even. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think they do it as a as a revenue generating. Uh, entity. I think they do it as a, it's a brand awareness and, you know, community binding agent. Right. But for us developers, the ones who do go to DevCon and pay for it, it's a lot of money. I mean, there's no doubt, especially mm -hmm. when you consider that you're taking three, four, five days off your normal work schedule to attend a conference that you paid a couple of thousand dollars for all in, including the hotel and conference fees. All the food, the hotel, the entry fee for the conference, the plane fare, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, the time off. It, yeah, you're right, Michael. It, it adds up really quickly. You can spend easily, uh, you know, five thousand dollars just for one person to go. Yeah. Well, that that's the number that I reckon it costs me every time I went to a DevCon, five thousand. And, you know, do I want to get on a plane and go to a conference and? lose spend waste five thousand when i could be at home making five thousand and the answer is not really mm -hmm. yeah, yeah that's kind of the same uh reason why apple pulled out of macworld they said okay so we have what a hundred thousand people going through macworld whatever it was well we do that many through our Apple stores every single, you know, every single day. So why would we want to, you know, why, why would we spend all that time getting ready for this? So, I mean, this, this may be the end of the, the conferences. Who knows? It's hard to say because, you know, a lot of things are changing the world and, and, you know, and then it's not just even those changes, it's just that things are different, you know? thing you know they're going to provide something different things change and it sometimes it's hard but uh you know for me it was it was hard for me to say hey i'm not teaching a in you know classes in person anymore i'm only doing them virtually now but it's worked out really well for me i'm very happy with it and i think that that may be where uh things are going in the future if it doesn't happen right away it may just kind of slowly go into a virtual conference regardless of of the situation in the world right now it, it may just end up being virtual because there are so many advantages to it yeah, I, I, I like to akin all of this talk about conferences and whether they're virtual or in person to what people thought would happen to movie theaters way back in the day, 15 years ago when Blockbuster came out. It's like, why would anyone pay extra money to go to a movie theater when they can get the same movie for a third of the price in the comfort of their own home? And that was a real worry. And what's what's funny is that it you know prior to COVID, people did both. They had the Netflix streaming, you could sit back, kick back in your jammies, or hey, you can go out with a bunch of friends and go to the movie theater because that became a social thing on the big screen, the big speakers, cutting edge movie. And I think conferences are going to be the same way. There's still going to be a big need and a draw to have that human interaction, that that massive, when everyone claps at the same time or everyone goes, oh, at the same time, 
those are rewards in the human existence that can't be replaced virtually. Uh, not today anyway. So I think it's going to be a hybrid, John. I think, and Mike, I think it's going to be a hybrid. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think it's interesting. I think it's what's very interesting about what you just said, Mark, is that um, I used to go to a weekly speakers group in Vegas. And of course, I'm not in Vegas anymore. And they're not holding virtual actual meetings. They're holding virtual meetings. So you do the Zoom and each person gets a chance to speak to the group. But the problem with it is that you don't get any audience reaction when you're speaking virtually. You, you don't know whether they're laughing at your jokes or whether you need to pause to let the laughter roll or all of that. And it becomes very difficult to present effectively because you're not getting that feedback from the audience. Yeah, there's no give and take. Todd was saying how difficult it was to do his demo virtually. He says, because I can't look at the crowd and see if I'm even on the right page or not. I can't see the reactions. I can't see if, if I'm out to lunch or if I'm right on track. Can't, you know, he was really disturbed by that. He was uh, saying how challenging it was to do that. And Michael, I think that goes to exactly what you said. Yeah, when, when you first start speaking in front of people, that whole fact is disturbing to you and it makes gives you the butterflies and you're scared. But after you've spoken quite a few times and get comfortable with it that's what you look for you feed off the audience you you un, you go you can tell if they're bored even if they don't say anything or or whether they're excited even if they don't you, you can almost sense and feel what's going on uh, but certainly clapping is always a great thing or or you know oohs and ahs are always great and they they keep you going and it really helps out and you know you're doing the right thing so I'll, hey i'll do more of that right and and i think it's uh for, for the speaker it's it's one thing and but for the audience it's another just to have all those souls next to you focused on that one thing and seeing it for the first time together to experience it together in person yeah i mean and then talk about it afterwards right and then right. talk about it afterwards did you see what he did can you believe what that just happened you know and that's it builds enthusiasm it almost builds adrenaline in your system it it makes you alive and that that's that's what life's all about. That's what people long for and live for. That's why music is so impactful. Movies are so impactful. Storytelling. And if you're a technological geek, you'll love to see something new you've never seen before because you know the impact it'll have on your life from that point forward. So this, this conference was quite a bit smaller than normal as far as content, right? And we know that uh, a lot of people would like to present their ideas didn't have a chance to do it this year. And, and some people have never had a chance. Maybe they got, they have, you know, there's been so many people submitting proposals for conferences that they didn't have a chance to get theirs in. And, and, and we're going to give you that chance. Um, if you have an idea about something you want to talk about, we'd like to consider that for our podcast. Have you come on as a, as a, a guest speaker and talk about, whatever interests you about FileMaker. So if we, you know, if you want to submit a proposal to us, uh, feel free to, we'd love to have that and, and give you that, that, you know, arena to, to say something so people can hear it and rehear it. It's, it's not the same thing as a developer conference or the Claris Engage, whatever you want to call it these days. It, it's, it's certainly not the biggest, as big a platform, but I think that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that may not make it into a conference that really 
would make great podcasts and we'd love to give people the chance to do that. Well, I think apart from just having them on as a guest on the podcast is that if they would wanted to produce a video, we can put that up on our YouTube channel and we can promote it so people can watch it. But you're right. There are a lot of people who don't get the opportunity to exhibit at DevCon. Some people submit and get rejected because there's just isn't room. Some people are nervous about submitting and don't do it. Uh, and they've got a lot of, they've got useful stuff to say. So I think the community has a lot more to offer. And I know that, you know, we would love to be able to, you know, get those people an audience because there's some great talent around. Where would they send that information? You got an email address in mind? Uh, just send it to info at firesidefilemaker.com and we'll respond to every proposal. Just give us a brief outline of what you'd like to discuss and uh, whether you whether you want to just talk about it or whether you'd want to include a, a video that you make. And uh, we'll do whatever we can to get you on the air and get you promoted. And this is different than what we've asked for before. We usually ask for ideas almost at the end of every podcast. Hey, if you got an idea, let us know what you want to. We're, we're actually asking people, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? You have to have something interesting to say. Don't get me wrong. So we're not, you know, we're not just going to accept everybody, but uh, we'd be interested in, in hearing what you, you've got to offer. And, and if, if you uh, feel comfortable uh, talking uh, in front of a, a virtual audience, then you know, send in a proposal and, and let's see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mark, you've never had an opportunity to present before, so maybe you could be one. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you guys are funny. So anything, last minute things, I think we've talked about just about everything we want to about Claris Engage. I think in general, it was a very positive experience. There are some things missing from a regular in-person DevCon, but that can't be helped. But they did a pretty good job of giving us a lot of information uh, about, you know, products, uh, you know, stuff that's coming out, stuff that's, you know, right about to come out, um, you know, just inside information. I think it's worth to go watch if you haven't seen all these, you know, these these videos yet. It's worth going on to the, the FileMaker community uh, forums and, and registering and watching this stuff. But is there anything last minute you want to say, Mark or Michael? I don't really, John. I mean, I, I haven't watched all the sessions yet. I just haven't had the time, but I intend to watch every single one of them. And I'm sure that I'll pick up something from it. And it's, you know, we think about how much time we use and how much time we've got available for spare stuff. But when you watch a, a conference or a, you know, a presentation or listen to a podcast, you only need to get one little nugget to make the whole time worthwhile. I couldn't, I, couldn't be said better. I agree. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Michael. That's, uh, that's those one things of nugget can could just really change your life or change your business or change your idea and your mindset and get you on a whole different path that, opens up your world so yeah by the way it's my term it's called a nugget of truth nugget of truth okay there you go <laughs> coined here first so on that uh we'll we'll uh you know head on out um and we hope to see you guys in the next uh podcast and you know please again send us your ideas of of what session you want to do so my name is john mark osborne thanks for listening
I'm Michael Rochelle. And I'm Mark LaRochelle. See you next time. Bye-bye now. You've been listening to Fireside Filemaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. We'd love to hear what you think, so please email us at info at firesidefilemaker.com. That's info at firesidefilemaker.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.